Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. This episode is a message given by our pastor, Casey Ryan, and one of our worship leaders here at Gate City Church, Joy Bullard. Together they speak on the generational promises God has for us, and we are so glad you've decided to join us. For more information about Gatekeepers and what we're all about, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. So let me just uh, let me just tell you uh, how this is going to be short. This is going to be like a 25 minute maybe exhortation, and then we're going to go into a response time. So we actually may get out of here relatively on time. Um, here's the thing: in Scripture, God often gives a promise to a person or a nation that, in the moment, it seems to be for the individual, but as that promise begins to unfold. And unwind, you realize actually hindsight that the promise wasn't for the individual, it wasn't for the individual, it was for the generational. That the promise, typically, the, the, the promise uh, receiver, the one who gets it, typically gets like a, a down payment or deposit of what the fulfillment's going to look like, but the fulfillment doesn't come until many generations later. I think about Abraham. We've been talking about Abraham um, a lot in this Genesis series. And even Abraham was given this pretty spectacular promise that he's going to have a nation that comes from him. But yet Abraham never saw the fulfillment of the promise. All he saw was the down payment in the form of his son, Isaac. And Hebrews talks about that, that actually uh, Hebrews and Galatians, that that promise came um, to bear and came to pass in like three other installments, one with, with Jacob actually becoming Israel and Israel becoming the nation. And then after that, Jesus fulfilling the promise because he's the seed of Abraham. And then the fourth way that it was fulfilled is that us in Jesus are the nation that's going to bless the earth. And so you see that even with Abraham, the promise given to him was actually generational. You see the same thing for Moses. Moses was given a promise. I'm going to take you and your people to the land flowing with milk and honey. Yet Moses was not the one who did it. Moses was charged with it. And Joshua was the one, his spiritual son, who actually took the land and brought Israel into the promised land. You also see it with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was promised to the disciples. Jesus said, go wait in the upper room. The Spirit's gonna come. He's gonna baptize you with power. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be glorious. Yet generations later, 30 generations later, the Holy Spirit's still coming in the same way. We're made partakers of the promise. And you also see it even with David, who in Psalms 110 is sitting before the tabernacle of David and he's looking at the ark and there's night and day worship and prayer going on around the ark with no veil. And he makes this declaration that there's a better priesthood coming than the one that he's operating in that the Levitical priesthood is actually inferior to something else that's coming. And he starts to prophesy about the Messiah who's going to come in the Melchizedekian priesthood, which we've talked about. David didn't live in that priesthood. He lived in the Levitical priesthood. The promise that he was given was actually for you and me. And so you see just this theme. I could give you probably a dozen more, but I just wanted you to see that I'm not just making it up when I say promises are not just individualistic, they're generational, okay? Now, you guys are sitting in a room and in a ministry that we call Gatekeepers. Okay, Gatekeepers is actually brand new. We've been operating as Gatekeepers for about five months. And before that, we were something else and it was called Forerunner Church. 
And so what we're going to do tonight, I actually, I think I really think this is important. I'm going to tell you our story and highlight some of the promises that have been given to us along the way. And my hope is that you guys will be able to connect your story in with the larger narrative that the Lord is doing here and that we can connect the larger narrative the Lord is doing here with what he's doing in the earth today. Something profound happens when you find your place in the story. So this story of gatekeepers, it actually doesn't start at Forerunner. It doesn't start with me. It actually starts 25 years ago with a man named Billy Humphrey. Now, just for clarity, legit, raise your hand if you know who Billy is. Okay, look around the room. Not everybody knows who the heck Billy Humphrey is. So that tells you right off the bat why we're telling this story, because you guys are like, not everybody here knows. There's lots of people who don't even know who Jamie is, right? Billy Humphrey, he's the director of Gate City. He oversees everything from the church side of things to the prayer room side of things to our missions organization. He's the director. But this story starts 25 years ago when he was the youth pastor at a church called Victory. You guys familiar with Victory World Church? Yeah, he was one of the founding uh, members and he was the youth pastor uh, and worked directly under Pastor Dennis, who I believe has since retired. And uh, he uh, was, had this huge heart for revival. He was like, he was the revival guy. And as he was a youth pastor, the Lord began to mark him um, specifically with some passages out of First Chronicles um, pertaining to the tabernacle of David. And one of the things that he saw was that there were 212 gatekeepers that uh, David had appointed to steward night and day worship of the presence of God. And he began to, to uh, like get marked and, and just really like, um, what's the word? Oh, Lord, attach himself to this idea of being a gatekeeper, that what he's to do is to steward the presence of God so that God can dwell here on the earth because amazing things happen when you have a dwelling place for God. That's actually the way that it was meant to be from the very beginning. If you've been in our Genesis series, you've seen that narrative thread all the way through. I don't have time to repreach it. And so he starts to connect with this idea that he's to be a gatekeeper and he wants to see the presence of God on the earth uh, in a continual way. And one of the things that that looks like for him is revival. That's like a fancy way of saying revival. If I say that you're a gatekeeper, what I'm actually saying is you're a revivalist. You want to see God's presence here, right? At all costs. And so his heart begins to ache as a youth pastor at victory for revival and God answers his prayer. And he just shows up in this profound way for a very long season. And we're talking hundreds and hundreds of people are coming to the Lord. The spirit of God falls and crazy miracles are happening. Miracles that I actually discounted the first time I heard the story. No offense to Billy or Jamie or anybody else, but that I have since verified from people who were there. And I was like, wow, they were telling the truth. They weren't exaggerating. Those kind of miracles, like bread coming out of people's mouth all the time, stuff that I've never seen and honestly don't have a grid for, right? He said his services, if you hear him tell the story, his services, like he'd get up and would just say like the word Jesus and people would just start falling all over the place and gang members were coming to the Lord. And so they had this really interesting dynamic where they had like all these ex-gang members, you know, just like flailing around in the Lord and, and not knowing what's going on. And it was just crazy. And uh, one of the things that it does is it just really touches Billy's heart. But Billy gets this word from the Lord. I want you to shut it down. Yeah, because we actually have some say so in revival. He says, I want you to shut it down. Has some personal reasons, some things in Billy's heart that he didn't feel were right, not like major sin issues or anything like that, just some, some heart stuff. 
and uh, God gives him a promise. He says, listen, shut it down, but I'm gonna send you something greater. Keep pressing in, I'll send you another wave of revival. And so Billy just gets, I mean, he just gets touched uh, fast forward, he ends up leaving victory, um, realizes that in order to be the revival guy, you actually have to be the prayer guy, that you don't get revival without prayer. And so he goes up to Kansas City, does his internship, essentially decides, I'm gonna just start a house of prayer down here in Atlanta. And uh, that became known as International House of Prayer. Some of his key students in that time period when he was a youth minister, their names were Chan Pridgen, Jamie Pridgen, Rolando Gonzalez and Teresa Gonzalez. Jamie Burns Pridgen, not Pridgen at the time, Jamie Burns. If you guys know who they are, these are all key leaders in our environment. They actually started with Jamie in high school and they all saw this revival. They all saw the stuff that were happening. So if you want to do something fun, go talk to them about some of the stories. They, it's crazy. It's crazy. Chan and Teresa would end up getting married. They oversee our entire missions organization. They founded Task, which is now Gate City Global. Jamie Pridgen would go on to marry Jamie Burns and affect, affect, affectionately be called Jamie Boy and Jamie Girl. And they would follow Billy from victory to the house of prayer. And in about, I think the year was 2010, the Lord made good on his promise to Billy. And they had this revival season at the house of prayer that they called the awakenings. And I wasn't there. Um, I was around. I was in the city and I knew everything that was going on. I was in my IHOP's occult phase. So I was like, I ain't going anywhere near that. <laughs> my soon to be wife, she was getting like radically touched at these things. But same kind of thing. God was moving in powerful ways. People were getting healed. People were getting delivered. People were getting set free. People were getting saved, which is the most important part. It was amazing. And you hear the stories and it just makes my heart ache. I'm like, man, I wish I was there. My wife was radically changed. Came out of fundamentalism, out of a weird culty, like you gotta wear dresses, women can't speak kind of thing. And she got her identity placed in her during the awakenings during that season in 2010. And um, so God, he starts moving and Billy's like, this is just awesome. I'm getting my revival. This is great. It's coming on the heels of years of night and day prayer, but I'm getting it. And then the Lord says, I want you to shut it down again. Yeah. And this time there's a word given. If I, and I might be butchering this word. I wasn't around. So this is second generation, me telling you the promise. But um, if I remember right, the word was, you've been in ankle deep water. If you'll shut it down, I'll come back and visit you with waist deep. And so Billy's like, okay, we're going to shut it down. And they shut it down. And that was in 2010. We're now in 2021, coming up on 2022. And we haven't seen the fulfillment of that. But around that time, God began to speak to Billy and this guy, Jamie Pridgen, the guy who was one of the primary you know, members of his youth ministry, about starting a young adult church called Forerunner. And it came about with a bunch of these crazy prophetic words, like people coming out of left field, people in our environment, people not in their environment, and coming out and saying, God's going to give you GGC. That if you will form this youth church, this young adult church, God will see thousands saved at GGC. Now, here's the thing. Back then, this was when GGC was like a little lame community college. And there was like a thousand people on campus. There was nobody there. It was a community college and now it is a giant state college. And how many people, how many, it's becoming a university. Now there's 13,000 people who go there, right? And they started seeing in that season, these 
kind of like uh, deposits and down payments of that promise. And to hear the stories of what happened at GGC is pretty, pretty tremendous, but it definitely wasn't the fulfillment of the promise. It was more of a Abraham gets Isaac, but doesn't get the whole nation kind of deal. Well, along that same time, I'm the youth pastor at this little tiny Assemblies of God Pentecostal church um, called Cornerstone with Dustin Pennington. Raise your hand if you were with me in those days in the trailer. Yeah, so we've got one, two, three. The faithful. Those are the faithful. So in that, in that season, I'm this youth pastor. We have like 20 people, but God's moving and it's, it's going like really well and it's really sweet and I don't know what the heck I'm doing, so God's doing it all. And um, I, I have this heart for unity in the church and for revival. Now, I had no grid for revival. So I'm like using that word, like I'm just flinging that around. I've never seen it. I'm just like, it's a Christian thing. It sounds good. I want God, right? If I want God, I want revival. That works. So I'm like, that's the thread over at Cornerstone. We all want revival. We all want unity in the church. And unfortunately, God would answer that prayer. Because Dustin, our senior pastor at the time, decided I want unity and revival so bad, I'm going to start a pastor's prayer meeting. And I'm going to invite every pastor in our area to meet up once a month, whether Anglican or whether IHOP or whether 12 Stone, and we're going to get together in a room and we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to forget all of our denominational issues, all of the things that divide us, and we're going to come together and say, we want to see Jesus made the center of this city. And we want unity in the spirit. We want revival. We want unity. And it was in that meeting that Dustin met Billy Humphrey. He's the prayer guy at this point. They've been doing nine day prayer for, I don't know, probably eight or nine years. And uh, Billy proceeds to introduce Dustin. This is a hard narrative. Just follow me. He proceeds to introduce Dustin to this man named Jeff Lyle. And Jeff was this local Baptist pastor who had gotten just wrecked in the spirit. I mean, absolutely wrecked, sitting in his office, doing his faithful quiet time at 5 a.m., little plug for faithful discipline. And the spirit shows up and he starts speaking in tongues and he covers his mouth because he thought it was the devil. Like, shows up, wrecks Jeff, connects Jeff with Dustin. And Dustin's, there's just an immediate kindredness there. And uh, within just a couple of months, literally the Lord was like, okay, Dustin, here's what I want you to do. I want you to shut down your church. I want you to absolutely kill it. I want you to leave all of the relationships that you've built with the assemblies of God. I want you to leave all of your status, all of your title, all of it. I want you to leave the assemblies and I want you to join the Baptist church. This is what I'm doing in the earth. I'm marrying the word and the spirit together. Pretty awesome. And so the word being represented by the Baptists, the spirit being represented by the Assemblies of God, the Charismatic, the Pentecostal, that's us. Not that we're void of word, not that they're void of spirit, but that's just the image, okay? And so we make the merge and uh, we become a new church. Some might even call it a new bridge. the name of the church. We decide we're going to be New Bridge and we're not going to do the traditional thing. We're not going to do the senior pastor who leads everything. We're going to do two co-pastors. And at that point, we had like two youth pastors and two children's pastors. And it was super awkward because, you, I mean, you, nobody leads like that, right? Anything with two heads is a monster. That's what they say. But this is what Jeff and Dustin kept saying. We're not the head, we're the shoulders. Jesus is the head. And so we become this amazing, weird, half-Baptist, half-charismatic, 
half reformed, half not reformed, no idea what we are. We just love Jesus. And I would just like to give a shout out to the three that stuck with me. And I'd like to give a shout out to Alicia Lyle. Alicia, if you'll stand. This is Jeff's daughter. And for the record, you have no idea how much was sacrificed. Her entire youth group is gone. She's the only one who stayed. She had to lose relationships. It got really difficult. Uh, it was so hard watching you go through all the stuff that you did, but you championed it and you just, you were great. And I'm just honored to have you. So my heart is like linked to these four in a very different way, just because we've seen some change together. And so we become Newbridge and we, we start getting our feet underneath us. And man, we're standing strong. We're in our stride. We're in our rhythm. We know exactly what the next five years are going to look like. And then the Lord graciously kicks our legs out from under us. And he says this, I want you to merge with the prayer movement. It's the word, it's the spirit, it's prayer. We're doing something new. And we're like, this is crazy. Well, at the time, I'm the youth pastor doing high school, a little bit of college. Jamie is over at IHOP doing Forerunner Church and they're getting this little Isaac deposits of all of these promises and people are getting dramatically touched and dramatically changed. So much so I'm hearing stories and the carnality in me is getting really jealous and frustrated that everybody keeps talking about Jamie Bridgen and not me. That was really where I was at. Right. And so when God's like, hey, I want you to, to merge with the house of prayer. I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be really difficult. We just did this. And we came up with a solution. I know. Why don't we do this? Why don't we, Jamie can take college and I'll take high school and we don't have to run together. We can just kind of do our own thing because I had this thing against Jamie. I didn't even meet the, beat the guy. I was just super jealous and insecure. And I sit down and I have lunch with him. It was forced. Our pastors were like, you're going to have to be out at lunch. <laughs> and I sit down and I have lunch with him and I, I realized instantly, I'm like, oh, I, I am such an idiot and I'm so sinful and I'm so prideful and I'm so insecure and I'm sitting in front of this man who is really a legend and there's a reason for it. He has equipped so many in the body, um, in the word, and he has dramatically, by grace, um, helped so, so many people. And um, I just, I fell in love with the guy almost instantly, to be honest with you. I was like, this is, this is the guy. And uh, so we threw out our plan of he takes college, I'll take high school. And we were like, let's run together and let's co-pastor. And so the Lord tells me, I want you to kill your youth group and I want you to go and join Forerunner Church and you're gonna go and co-pastor with Jamie. And so now I've got my youth group coming into this new environment with a new pastor doing, it was just really difficult, but it'd be, it was really sweet and it was really special. And uh, those are honestly some of the best years in ministry for me was the years that I got to run with Jamie. And I was, when I was running with him that I heard all of these prophetic stories about what the Lord was doing. And I realized in that season, oh, God's actually knitting me together in this prophetic thread. That I'm not just like a tag on, a tag on but my story was uniquely wired and woven to interact with his and the promises given at Forerunner. And for me, my heart began to just come alive as I realized I actually have purpose now and I know what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to equip our people to stand at the end of the age. We are supposed to see revival. And it was just such a, it was such an encouraging thing. But here's the problem is during those years, that's a weird transition. You're talking for me, three merges, right? And in that season, as leadership's changing and structure's changing, the, the original generation of forerunner, 
those who got to see that amazing, you know, Isaac deposit of all of these promises, those who were there in the early days, they were your age and being led by Jamie. They were, they were transitioning out and a new group of people were transitioning in and it just got kind of chaotic. And, and for a few years, we didn't even have anything happening with GGC. And that was the whole point of Forerunner starting to begin with. And so we're starting to get our legs underneath us. And then the Lord graciously kicks my legs out underneath me. And Jamie comes to me and he says, hey, I've been praying and I've got about three crazy prophetic stories involving trucks and angels and it's getting ridiculous. I'm supposed to transition out. And is what he says. He goes, I, I think, he goes, you're supposed to steward the promises. It's your turn now. And I'm like, honestly, dude, I fought it kicking and screaming because um, I really like Jamie and I liked not running alone and he brought so much wealth and, and value. And I realize half of you guys don't know who he is. Um, he is a gift to the body of Christ. He's a gift to me. And um, so that was uh, a year ago that he came and said, hey, I'm gonna transition out. And we sent him off, I believe, last September. And uh, we, we moved buildings and I'm, I've got this thing in me. And the Lord's like, you're stewarding the promises of Forerunner. That's what you're doing. And uh, at the same time, we're going through a rebrand here and we're gonna change from Newbridge. We're gonna become Gate City and the Lord begins to impress on us through several things. I want you to change your name. And uh, he made very clear to us, I want you to change your name to Gatekeepers. It was the very thing that touched our director 25 years ago. 212 Gatekeepers there to steward the presence of God so that there was a dwelling place for God here on the earth. Our youth ministry by the way, is led by one of those guys, Rolando, and his youth ministry here is called 212. That's why. Let me just give you, I'm giving you some insight so you guys can, some of the light bulbs can go off. So Jamie transitions out. The Lord makes it clear it's time to change your name. And five months ago, we changed our name to Gatekeepers. Now, here's why I'm telling you this. Because in any other ministry environment, if you change the pastor, you change the name, you change the vision statement, you change the building. What you're doing is you're divorcing yourself from everything else in the past. You're saying out with the old, in with the new. If you took any church on the block and they hired a new youth pastor or a new young adult pastor and he came in, he said, we're getting a new name, we're getting a new vision statement, we're getting a new building, we're getting new chairs, we're getting new decor, everything's new. What he's essentially saying is old wineskin, new wineskin. That was good for then, but now we need something for now. And the truth is that's actually not our story. That's not Gate City's story and that's not Gatekeeper's story. We're not divorcing ourselves from the prophetic thread that God was doing in Jamie and Jamie in Forerunner Church. What we're doing, we got a name change like Abram to Abraham. Anytime somebody gets a name change in the Bible, it's because their destiny is right around the corner. And we felt like when the Lord was saying, change your name to gatekeepers, what he was actually doing is saying, no, it's not out with the old and in with the new. It's the fulfillment of the old in the new. And we began to pray. We have faith. And I'm just telling you right now, we have a, a pretty awesome campus ministry that's like in the very beginning stages led by John Padilla right here. And I, yeah, actually, and many of you, listen, I am convinced that the Lord is saying that we are the Joshua generation of Forerunner. That we, if, if we have the faith for it, he will give us the land. GGC right now is prime territory, 13,000 people. 
And we are believing and, and, and adamantly praying, laboring in prayer. Lord, give us GGC. We want to see revival. We want to see thousands of people, not just saved, but accurately and adequately discipled to stand in an hour of trial that's coming upon the earth. And we believe God will give that to us because he promised it to Jamie and Jamie. He promised it to Joy. He promised it to Shelly. He promised it to Kayla. He promised it to that original generation of Forerunner. He promised it, and he's into generational promises. And the good news is we're the next generation in that promise. And so I'm convinced that's our story, but I'm convinced that's our heritage. It's not like different legs of the race. Like that's actually our, that's our heritage, guys. And if we'll have faith for it, I believe God will do something miraculous. I believe that we'll start to see the fulfillment of these promises that God gave our, our previous pastor and our previous leadership and the previous generation. And so here's what we're doing. As I've invited five of the original people who were like kind of a part of that, that swirly start of Forerunner, which is what we came out of. And I invited them here tonight. And I, I, we were originally going to do a panel. We don't have time to do a panel. I, I wish we could. But uh, I want to call Joy up. Joy, will you just come up here? I realize most of you guys, like, if, like there's many of you who don't know who Joy is. You don't know, again, you don't have a name or a face to all of these people that I'm talking about. But what you have to understand is what God promised Joy, what God promised Jamie and Jamie, what God promised Judea, if it hasn't come to pass, it's not because he's a liar. He's going to give us our portion of that promise. And so um, Joy has something that she just wants to share. You can keep it on GGC or you can go wherever the heck you want to go. Right. But you were there in those beginning days. And um, uh, afterwards, we're going to go into a time of ministry. OK, go ahead. Hi, I'm Joy. Um, I want to share a little bit of my story like, why was I at Forerunner? <laughs> why do I exist? Um, um, and then I want to share something I feel like the Lord is sharing tonight. I came on the scene when I was 19. Okay, how many years ago? This will date me a little bit. It was eight years ago, 19 years old. I came to do the internship. I moved from Oklahoma to do the internship here. And I knew, like, I was desperate for God. And I'm a pastor's kid, and so I grew up in churches. How many pastor's kids? Anyone? Yeah, all you PKs. I grew up in churches that were run by my family. And I grew up in environments where the people my age never talked about the Bible. Like, they never talked about the Bible, where people my age didn't raise their hands in worship. People, like what you saw exampled here tonight, I didn't grow up in that reality during worship. But I was so hungry for something I'd never seen or never tasted. Therefore, I felt like an outcast in my community. Like, if I feel like I want to raise my hands, then everyone's looking at me. Like, what the heck? So I come to do the internship. Um, and the first thing that I encountered was two things. Well, house of prayer. So if you've ever been to the prayer room, went to the prayer room, you got to sit in the prayer room for like 20 hours a week if you're an intern and you sit, on, sit there and you're just like, what am I going to do? I prayed all the prayers. The Lord really changes you in that place. <laughs> Two, I went to house church. Does anyone remember house church? House church. We crammed 40 people into like a living room the size of the sound booth. I'm not even kidding. And sometimes it smelled because the bathroom was right behind us. 
Sometimes you could like hear people pee. That was so bad. Um, yeah, it was bad. But actually, my husband, uh, he went on like this crazy stalking Instagram thing for me. And he actually tagged a bunch of you in a video that I took when Sergio was leading worship. I don't know if any of you saw that. Yeah, Brett saw it. Um, Sergio Carlisle, he would lead worship and he would sing love songs to Jesus and everyone would just rip and roar and sing. And it was just amazing in this house. I was so uncomfortable because I was experiencing the power of God on a couch in a living room. That was a new idea for me. So then we come to Forerunner and like, gosh, I remember this one night. I'm not even kidding. This guy, Jacob Cantrell, he was the worship leader. Um, if you've ever heard the song, now I can see your love is better than all the others. So his group of people in, in uh, DC recorded that song. So that's the main guy on like all that, that whole album. Um, he's leading worship. And I don't know what happened to him. He like broke a microchip. He like took his guitar, threw it on the ground. Not really because it didn't break. He jumps off the stage and starts running laps around the room. <laughs> and I was like, <sighs> like I was allergic to that crap, okay? Um, but what was exposed in me is I said, God, I want this. But when it actually came to me, I was terrified. And I love what Casey said about revival. It gets uncomfortable, it does. But guys, I was so offended with God. That I think, when people say revival gets messy, that's what I think is the messiest thing about revival. God shows up and you're confronted with your own heart and what you thought it would be and then what it turned out to be. And maybe disappointment, maybe frustration, or maybe that that person got delivered and you did not. Maybe that person got healed and your mom did not. And then you have to ask God why and face him and sometimes not hear anything, sometimes not see anything. So anyway, I did my internship 2019. I moved here no, not 2019, 2014, I did my internship. 2015, I moved here, um, and I joined staff at the House of Prayer. And ever since then, I've been on staff. It was the greatest thing I ever did. I'm so happy the Lord led me here. I was the worship pastor here for two years. Um, I met my husband here, glory to God, woo! Um, and we were leaders at Forerunner for five or six years. No, we were leaders at Forerunner for about five years. And God did amazing things. One of the greatest things I heard, though, was just like Casey shared, is the prophetic history. Nonstop. Constant, constant, constant. Now, here's why Jamie always shared the prophetic history. Um, there are certain scriptures that talk about you pass it on from generation to generation to generation. Okay, The Ark of the Covenant, when they went from the desert into the promised land, the first generation that came out of Egypt couldn't inherit the promised land because of offense. God actually said, you will all die. Not one of you will see the promised land because of your unbelief, because they wanted to run back into captivity after what they experienced. Gosh, imagine that. God leads you out, and then you actually want to run back to the very cave that you are trapped in, the very prison and slavery that you came from. And then he says, I still love you, but you just won't see the promise. Your children will see the promise. So then what's the next guy? Sorry, I'm pregnant and there's real something. There's really something called pregnancy brain. Pregnancy brain, she a mother. Once you ladies are pregnant one day, you'll find out. 
my brain's building a baby. It's not, it's not thinking right now. The next guy where they shout and all the walls come down. What's his name? Joshua. Thank you, Jesus. Joshua's generation comes. But if that generation doesn't believe and step into belief where their parents had unbelief, do you think they're going to see the promised land? That was a rhetorical question. Thank you. No. Thank you, David. No. Imagine this. Imagine growing up in a generation, in a community. We're all out in the desert. Let's say that. We're all out in the Sahara. We're like, oh, man, we're, we're going somewhere. We have no direction. And our parents are telling us, you, we should have gone back to Egypt. All of our parents. We should have gone back to Egypt. There was food. There was comfort. There was this. There was that. And you grow up in that reality of being in the desert, not knowing slavery, and your parents are constantly saying, maybe God was wrong. Like they're probably, imagine those conversations that might've happened. What was God thinking? Oh, but I saw him part the Red Sea. Like how, how, how does that contrast? And then God gives your generation a promise to go and shout down the walls of Jericho. Like the city that cannot be infiltrated. You have a choice to believe and receive and step forward, like physically step forward into that promise, or you can just stay in that disbelief that your family stayed in. But we see the reward of faith and action. It's not just faith, it's also action. God required faith to grab a hold of the promise that was squandered by a previous generation and action to physically step into something else. So, what did they do with the ark? God said, put manna in the ark. I don't know if quail were put in there. That'd be kind of disgusting. Put manna in the ark, put some sand in the ark, and put, I think, 12 stones or one stone at least from the river that they had to cross. Why? So every generation, also the Ten Commandments, put them in so every generation would see and know what God did. And imagine being the next generation with the Ark of the Covenant and like a piece of manna that's not rotting. Like that manna couldn't last, last for 24 hours, but it's sitting in the ark. I wonder if anyone like, I've often thought, I wonder if anyone like grabbed a piece to try and taste it before, if it instantly rotted or something. That is similar to the moment that Gatekeepers is in. Not because the previous generation didn't have faith, because we did, we do. Like, so many of us who were in Forerunner, gatekeepers, are now here in active ministry, just in different areas. And it's God has called us out of this section of ministry into another section of ministry. I want to read something. So why do I share that? I share that to encourage you. You have a choice. You could be here and reap the reward of amazing worship and amazing messages, and that would be great. You would get edified, you would grow, and then you would, you would move on, maybe, or maybe you'd stay here, stay 21 forever, hopefully, <laughs> right? Don't we all have that prayer? You could do that. You would be so encouraged and so edified and grow so much, or you can be here and grab a hold of the promise Grab a hold of the vision because this vision isn't just for this ministry. It's what God is doing in the earth. This vision is not just for gatekeepers. It's what he's doing across the world and what he has been doing for generations. 
Here's why I say that. Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. He was crying in the wilderness. He was alone, but he got a message from the Lord saying, prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way. And I love this because a few verses down in Matthew 3, verse 11, he says, he's speaking to the Pharisees and to the people gathered. Indeed, I baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He got a picture of Jesus that even the Pharisees did not have at that time. Imagine that. He got an understanding of the Son of Man, the Son of God, that even the Pharisees were questioning, saying, no, I don't think that's real. They were antagonizing him. He says, he, meaning Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. The next verse, then Jesus came. Then Jesus came. He came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. I love that in the middle of John the Baptist preaching to masses of people who either do or don't believe that the Messiah is coming, it says Jesus came. He physically walked into the river, I guess, not the room. And I think about that in lieu of the promises that have been given to this place. And I can't recount them all. I can't speak of them all because I can't remember them all. Honestly, Jamie, he's got the prophetic gift to just like remember all this crap. But, but one of those promises is GGC will be a harvest field as a result of the faith, proclamation, discipleship, and evangelism that comes from this place. I didn't go to GGC. I didn't go to college. I was saved. Honestly, I was saved because I didn't go to college. Anyway, um, <laughs> but when I heard that word, something shook me. And I had unbelief. God, how can I be a part of the salvation of GGC when I didn't even go to college? Like, I can't relate. I'm in full-time ministry. I sit in the prayer room for a job. How can I relate? Like, I worship lead for... My job, no one can relate to me. Whatever that was, he said, you don't have to be a part of this, but I'm giving you an opportunity to be a part of this. Will you be a part of this? And that's what I feel him saying. That word hasn't been fulfilled. John the Baptist had the privilege of seeing the words fulfilled in his lifetime. Jesus came on the scene. But you know what? Jeremiah, the prophet, didn't. Isaiah the prophet, when Isaiah spoke that word, up here, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Isaiah the prophet spoke that, 
years and years and years and years before, he never even saw it. He never even saw John the Baptist come on the scene. But what happens if Isaiah never prophesies the word of the Lord coming to him? What if he says, no, God, I don't believe that. I don't believe there's a voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. Does John the Baptist come? We don't know that, okay? We can't, we can't know that. What if John the Baptist says, no, God, I don't want to stand up in front of the Pharisees and say, your son is coming. Give it to someone else. I don't want to wear locusts or I don't want to eat locusts. I don't want to wear camel's hair. I don't want to be that crazy person. The voice crying out in the wilderness. I don't want it. Give it to someone else. What happens? Is it that very generation that sees Jesus or is it another generation? And I can't imagine the blessing and the hope that he experienced when he saw Jesus come. And John the Baptist was the one that got to baptize him into, God, into his own, into Jesus's ministry. And I just feel this holiness, and I've always felt this holiness upon this ministry, upon this gathering of God, the things you're saying are too good to be true. They're too big to actually imagine. I cannot imagine what revival on GGC's campus looks like. I cannot picture it. Will it be in a classroom? Will it be in the main gathering area? Will it be at the giant G building? Will it be at the soccer fields? Will it be at a baseball game? I can't actually picture it and how it starts and what happens. But I believe that God spoke it and his word never returns void. But if there is not a people who says, God, your word doesn't return void. Save GGC. Your word doesn't return void. I'm a voice crying out in the wilderness. Your word doesn't return void. Save my family. Save my friends. Your family won't be saved. GGC will not be saved. And the word will pass to the next person with faith. And something you have to grapple with is, is the cost worth it? The cost of maybe not seeing it. We've been contending for eight years and we haven't seen it. And it's been hard but you know what else we've been contending for? For lives to be changed. And you know what we see every single week here? Lives changed. Do you know what we experience here? An open heaven. You know what we see? We see people coming from all different walks of life and they walk in the door and they say, God's here. And that's a fulfillment of promise. And that's what causes me to believe, God, the rest of your promise is yet to come. The rest of your promise is yet to come. He said a thousand souls in, in a day at GGC and so much more. And I also believe there are words yet to be spoken from God for this generation. There are things yet to do that were not spoken to me, that were not spoken to Clinton or Jamie. They are going to be spoken to you guys and whoever are the ones that say, this is mine. I'm taking ownership of this. I'm stepping out in faith. I will pray. I will fast. I will gather and I will believe you, Lord. And so I just want to do a simple call tonight. Aisha, you can bring the team back up. I just want to do a simple call tonight to stand again. Maybe this is your first time you've ever heard something like this about this community. Maybe this is your first night. Glory to God, you're getting induced into a great thing. But I want to make a call for no matter where you've been, 
You just say, I want to stand in faith. Lord, give me grace to stand in faith. And secondly, I want to make a call for those of you who want to stand for the promise and the new word that God is going to release over this place. He will not release a word unless you cry out for it. He won't release a word to a people without faith, without a people who are listening. If you're not listening, if you're just on a hype train, it's going to pass you by. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You could follow us on Instagram at GatekeepersATL. We'll see you in the next episode.